see me they can't hear me i'm muted and my video's off um yeah chad we can hear you and no your video's not off we can see you hi we're the growing team at apex with a quick announcement we're all getting used to connecting more over technology these days but it does provide for us an opportunity to continue established patterns but in new ways 
At Apex, we come together every six months for a time of training that includes worship, teaching, coaching, and strategic planning. We invite everyone to join us for a virtual training with Hugh Halter called Being Present, Living Sent on rediscovering what it means to be and share the good news of Jesus, where we live in ways that give life to the people we know and love and the communities that we live in. We will experience this training in three different spaces. The teaching space is where everyone experiences the sessions together, a social space of 20 to 30 people for processing and applying what you've learned, and a huddle space, which is an even smaller group where on your own time you discuss what it is that God has been saying to you and what you're going to do about it. Being Present Living Sent will take place on the evenings of May 11th and the 14th and during the day on May 17th. For more details and registration, go to apexcommunity.org. We hope, hope, to, see we hope to see you there. <laughs> all right, Jason, do you think we got it? Are we all set? Yep, that was great, man. Appreciate it, guys. Great. All right, adios. We'll see you. Bye. Oh, there's that. Oh. Kids, pick up your Legos. Okay. Have a good day, Rosalind. You too. Good morning, everyone. This week, we're starting a new chapter in the book of Luke. We're into chapter 15. And by going into this new chapter, we're going to go into some new material, some new things that Jesus was wanting to teach his first disciples, and I believe he's wanting to teach us today. For these next few weeks, we'll be looking at the idea of lostness. And especially lostness from the point of view of the way in which Jesus saw lostness. What does it mean to be lost? And what does it mean to be found? And if we're in one of those categories, how, how does that affect us? How does that cause us to react to the world around us? Obviously, the ultimate destination of someone who is lost is that they continue in a lost state and forever are alienated from God. If you're found, then obviously the ultimate destination for someone who is part of the found community, the community of the father's family, then of course your destination is to be found in his family for always. And we know the realities of both heaven and hell, eternal separation and judgment, and eternal blessedness and connectedness to God. Well, this week we're going to look at what it means to be on the journey to those two destinations, and we'll be looking at that uh, reality, at that journey over these coming weeks together. So join me as I read from Luke chapter 15 and verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around him to hear him. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders 
and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now this is the first of three parables. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And each of them speak about lostness in a particular way. But the general picture, the general picture is that from within the community of faith, there are those who are no longer connected in the way that they used to be. Now, of course, people can become disconnected from the community of faith for a whole number of reasons. Principally, because the faith of that community is not actually their own faith. And so the binding reality that causes that community of faith, the community of Jesus, to know their identity together is not something that is known in the heart of a particular individual. And they find themselves being more and more disconnected from that community of faith. That's most certainly what it appears that Jesus is addressing in this parable. In this parable, we see at the very beginning that there is an audience that Jesus is addressing. And the audience is made up of two parts. Interestingly, the lost and the found. But those two parts are two parts of the same community that would be called Israel, would be called the children of Abraham, would be called the household, the family of Jacob. All of these people, from the perspective of the biblical history, would be described as Israelites. But some of them are obviously more estranged from the community than others. Within the audience that Jesus is addressing, there are those who are the tax collectors and the sinners, and there are those who are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. There's a group within the crowd that Jesus is speaking to that are those that have been caught up in behavior that has drawn them away from being affirmed by the spiritual community, by the, by the community of God's people. One group, the tax collectors, are, are really beyond any, any real expectation or hope on the part of the righteous believers of ever coming back again. The tax collectors were people who'd been caught up in the corrupt economic system of the Roman Empire and used intimidation and violence to extract from the population the unjust taxation and the amount that they wanted to add to that taxation uh, that they used for their own personal purposes. This is organized crime that sponsored by the government. It would be difficult even today to imagine 
a kind of mafioso family finding their way back into the community of faith. And then there are the sinners, the people who are beyond the pale. They're the people whose behavior and, and personal choices have placed them in a position that means that they've broken so many of God's laws that the community of God's people would consider them to be kind of renegade. So within this audience, there is a group of people who even today would struggle to see themselves as part of a community of faith. And, and then there are, within that same audience, there are the evangelicals and the pastors, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. The teachers of the law are the people who are professionally, if you like, employed to interpret the scriptures to the congregation of Israel. And the Pharisees are lay people who have committed themselves to a radical understanding of the scriptures and a radical application of the scriptures in their own life. And make no mistake, although we often categorize Pharisees in kind of negative terms, most of us would be in that group if that group existed today because really they are the evangelicals of the, of the gospel story. So here is an audience that Jesus is addressing and within the audience there is a murmuring. Now this word murmur that Luke uses is clearly a reference to an Old Testament story. In fact, a whole number of stories. The children of Israel have been liberated from Egypt under the, under the leadership of Moses. They've come into the desert of Sinai. They've approached Mount Sinai. Perhaps they've already received the law. And on numerous occasions, the great company of the Israelites find themselves murmuring against Moses and against the commitment and passion and guidance that he's giving to the people over whom God has called him to lead. They're murmuring. The Hebrew word, like the English word, has a kind of onomatopoeic feel about it. It sounds like what it's actually doing. There's this kind of murmur in the background. There is a murmuring. And this murmuring is clearly something that the group of Pharisees and teachers of the law, the evangelicals and pastors, are saying about the activity, about, about the energy that Jesus is expending on behalf of the other group, the group of people who would most certainly be described as lost. And so Jesus tells a series of parables. And the first parable is the parable that we've just read together. The parable of the lost sheep. And Jesus, again, using this rabbinic tool of applying a situation that everybody would be familiar with and would understand the internal logic of, he takes that kind of story and applies it to the situation that he's wanting to teach about. And he says, 
Which of you who has a hundred sheep would not go looking for the one sheep that's lost? And then he, then he paints this, this beautiful story of the shepherd leaving the 99 in the open country and going and finding the lost sheep and then bringing the lost sheep home on his shoulders, calling his friends and neighbors and rejoicing over the one sheep that was once lost and is now found. Now that, that story, that picture has been portrayed so many times in Christian art down through the centuries. We all have perhaps our favorite portrayal and perhaps it's connected to other portions of scripture like, like John 10 where Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd or, or perhaps the reinstatement of Peter where Jesus tells Peter that he wants him to function as a shepherd over the followers of Jesus. But one of the passages in the Bible that is almost certainly being referred to when we think of God functioning as a shepherd is from the Old Testament. And it's not the one that we're, that we're most familiar with that I'm thinking about. We've looked at Psalm 23 together, and I'm sure we'll look at it again. But the particular passage is one that's not quite so familiar. And it's in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel has a series of prophecies that are brought to him by means of visions. And often in those visions and dreams, angels come to him and show him what it is that God wants him to know and interprets those, those visions to him. And here in Ezekiel 34, it says this, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with wool, and slaughter the choice animals. But you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled over them harshly and brutally so that they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains on every high hill they were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals and because my shepherds did not search for my flock but cared for themselves rather than my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. Many of the people to whom Jesus was speaking would, of course, 
know this passage. They would know the metaphor, the image of sheep and shepherds. They would know that this is something that is that has come out of their history, that, that the fathers of Israel were shepherds, and that and that David was was known as the shepherd king. But here, as God speaking through Ezekiel makes it absolutely clear that, that the leaders of Israel are supposed to shepherd the flock. He brings the indictment against them and tells them that they've not functioned in the way that they've been called to function. And so says that he will shepherd his flock and he'll go and find them. Now the people in the crowd that are listening to him, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the people who are the Bible believers and the pastors should, of course, have taken responsibility for shepherding the people of Israel. They had the knowledge. They had the wherewithal. They often, because of their status within society, had the time and the energy to go after the lost. But instead, they're murmuring that Jesus is spending his energy, his time, on these lost individuals who clearly, from any perspective that they would hold, are people who have very little to offer the community of faith. But Jesus says, if you want to know what God is like, then he's like a shepherd. Now, one of the things to consider about this, of course, is that although there is a long and illustrious history of God being connected to the picture of of a shepherd in the Old Testament, by the time that Jesus was teaching this parable, shepherds had become way down the totem pole in terms of their status within society. At the beginning, they were the leaders of the children of Israel. The fathers, Abraham and, and Jacob and and Moses, and David, they were all people familiar with what it means to be a shepherd. But by the time that Jesus was on the scene, shepherds had been pushed to the margins. You see, shepherds weren't able to go to synagogue. Of course, there were no synagogues in the time of David and of, and of Moses. The relationship was a relationship that was had in the heart of the individual and, and was expressed in the home of the Israelites themselves. But, but by the time of Jesus, this group of nobodies were given the task of looking after the sheep, sheep that were necessary, absolutely vital for, for the religious life of, of Israel and for just the ordinary, everyday life of individuals within the land. This vital role was given to people who were more and more marginalized from the life of faith. And so to the popular imagination of the people that Jesus is addressing, there are two things going on. He's, he's, he's drawing on an ancient tradition of seeing God as a shepherd, but he's also saying that the people that you despise, the people who are on the margins The people who you don't think are up to much, God's like that. God is like a person that you don't value very highly. God is like the butt 
of your jokes. It's, it's quite well known that, that many of the, of the, the jokes that were told about, about specific communities were told about shepherds in the time of Jesus. So maybe people even thought that Jesus was, was beginning a joke when he says, have you heard the one about the shepherd? But Jesus had a very serious intent. This was no laughing matter at all. God was committed to finding the lost sheep, however lost they were. Now, I've got a good friend who's a professor at Wheaton College over there in Illinois, and he is the director of the Billy Graham Center for Evangelism. Rick Richardson spent his entire life understanding and studying the call and the process of evangelism. And he's a world expert on the subject. And recently, he's written a book called You Found Me, which details really the understanding and the analysis of the emerging generation, who many of whom have become detached from the communities of faith that they were raised in. These so-called nuns, not not nuns who wear habits and live in convents, but nons, N-O-N-E-S, say that they have no church affiliation, even if they believe in God. And about two-thirds of them have some idea that there may be a God. And probably 30 to 40% of them believe pretty much what you and I believe by way of who Jesus is, and the, the authority of the Bible, but they've, they've become disconnected from the community of faith. You see, there are many lost people all around us who would be in the category that Jesus is describing. Often we think of lost people as people who've never been connected to a church. But certainly on this occasion... Jesus is describing someone who used to be part of the community of faith and have, for whatever reason, drifted away and found themselves disconnected from that community. And maybe they feel just as judged as the tax collectors and sinners in the audience that Jesus was addressing. Maybe they feel as though the Bible-believing Christians and the pastors have little time for them because they've wandered too far. I wonder what it feels like to be lost in that way. Many of you may know that, but, but many of us really have had no experience of that until very recently. You and I have been locked up in our homes. We've been frustrated we felt lonely. We felt afraid. We felt disconnected. We felt marginalized. We felt the weight of separation. That experience that you and I have gone through over these last few weeks is an experience that I think God could use really powerfully in our lives. Because clearly, when Jesus is speaking to the crowd that he's addressing and, and sharing this story with, and 
as Jesus continues to address us by his word in the power of the Spirit today, his intention is that we understand that God is after the nons. God is after the lost. God is wanting to take the initiative. But of course, then as now, he's looking for someone to work through. Fortunately for us, his son, Jesus, was prepared to be that person. But the disciples of Jesus wanted to imitate him, of course, want to learn what it means to be like him. And so therefore, to be a shepherd who's prepared to leave the 99 and go after the one. We'll talk about the 99 in a moment, but going after the one, what would that look like? Well, the shepherd in the story chooses to take the initiative. Do you see that? He doesn't shout from the hilltops to the sheep. Now, he could have done that. That's a legitimate way to understand the way that sheep and shepherds work at the time of Jesus. I remember one of the, one of the I don't know how many times I've been to Israel now, but lots of times. I remember one time I was out in the wilderness and I, I watched two young shepherd boys with their sheep and as they walked away from the waterhole they just called out and sang songs and their sheep heard their voice and they followed them such a picture of of that word in John 10 of of the shepherd calling us by name and and us hearing his voice and following and so Jesus could have said in this parable that the shepherd calls out to the sheep and the sheep hears him and then comes back but no Jesus wants to underline something more deeply, more significantly about the way in which the shepherd takes the initiative. The shepherd goes and finds the sheep. The shepherd takes the initiative and goes and finds where the sheep are. Where are these young people? I'm delighted to say that our church has so many young people, but my goodness, there are many, many, many who have become detached and lost. And if we're to be followers of Jesus, then we'll take the initiative like the shepherd in the story took the initiative, like Jesus took the initiative of of leaving heaven and coming to earth for us, of, of reaching out and finding the least and the last and the lost. And so, as we consider what it's like to reach out as a shepherd, let's be grateful that the Lord has given us at least some picture, some some experience that, that helps us to understand what it must be like to feel detached in the way that so many are today. But beyond taking the initiative, the shepherd does something else, which is extraordinary. The shepherd could have just used his crook and put it around the neck of the sheep and and brought the sheep home. Could have put a string around the the, the sheep's neck and, and brought it home. But the shepherd doesn't do that. The shepherd picks up the sheep, knowing that the sheep is feeling weak and vulnerable and afraid, surrounded by predators. The shepherd takes the sheep into his arms, providing protection 
and then uses his strength, his energy, to carry the sheep home. He, he takes not only the initiative, but, but puts all of the energy in that's needed for that lost one to come back. And in coming back, his first desire is not to educate the sheep about how not to leave the flock again, but to celebrate. Celebrate with friends and family. Celebrate, Jesus says, in a way that heaven is celebrating. That somehow there is a connection in that celebration between earth and heaven that opens a window into the very heart of God. And we know what it is that he's most excited about. He loves the fact that we, that we meet and that we study the scriptures and that we, that we gather for fellowship. He loves the fact that we have house churches and gatherings, even if they have to be remotely experienced and, and digitally performed. And of course, he's pleased with all of those things. But he celebrates the coming home of the lost. Wouldn't it be great to be caught up in that celebration? A celebration that is greater than any other celebration in heaven. Why? Because of course you're always going to celebrate the thing that is a recognition of the sacrifice that's been made. And the very fact that the lost are able to come back is testament to the great sacrifice that Jesus paid that makes it possible. That's why heaven celebrates the most over the one that returns much more than over the 99 that have stayed. God is delighted. He loves his children. He welcomes them into his arms. He gives them intimate access into his heart and love, of course. But he celebrates when he sees the lost come home. And if he celebrates, then those that would call themselves his children, of course, celebrate to the same extent and with the same intensity that he does. It's interesting, isn't it? The 99 are, are this group of Pharisees and, and teachers of the law, the, the, the Bible believers and the pastors. Obviously, I've been a Bible believer since my first days of being a Christian. That's how I became a Christian, reading the Bible. And um, for my sins, I'm a pastor too. And so I would be in that category, murmuring away, wondering why the shepherd is using his energy, using his talents, using his time to go and look for people who are hopeless cases. I've worked with hundreds of pastors down through the years, helping them think through what it means to disciple their congregation. And several of those guys have lost their jobs, sadly, down through the years. And the main reason that they've lost their jobs is that the congregation believe that somehow 
all of the sacrifices that they've made to build buildings and to, and to pay for staff and to run budgets and to create a place where people can be gathered and attracted to and, and welcomed in is somehow now placed in second place after the call to go out. There's a lot of difference between inviting people to come in and making the decision to go out. The shepherd doesn't call to the lost sheep and say, come back. The shepherd goes out and finds the lost sheep. And when congregations hear this, they, they feel offended. They feel as though somehow their sacrifices is being devalued. And it's amazing how many times that's created deep and lasting conflict in congregations. I'm sure that that's not true of Apex. Absolutely, I'm sure that it's not true of Apex. But it's enormously important that we understand that being a disciple of Jesus means being like Jesus, which means being like the thing that he describes that he's like. And he's like the shepherd who goes out and finds the lost sheep. We're not those who murmur that we've not had enough attention. We're not like those who murmur that, that the money is being spent on, on people outside. To the contrary, we're people who celebrate that. We're people who rethink the way that we function so that our building becomes a mission base. What a great name for a building so often misdescribed as a church. Of course, we know the church is the people, but so often we call the building the church. What a great name to call it the mission base. We have a mission, the mission of the shepherd, the mission to seek and find and bring home the lost and to celebrate what it means to be found and what it means to be found in the family of our Father. You know, when you connect with a non, a person that's kind of become disconnected from the faith community, one of the things that they'll often say is that, is that the judgmentalism that they've encountered makes them feel as though God is judging them. There's no judgment with the shepherd seeking the sheep, carrying the sheep in his arms and then placing that sheep on his shoulders and then celebrating with his friends. Over and again as we see these, these parables build up in the coming weeks, we'll notice that that is a theme over and over again. There's no judgment with the shepherd. In fact, the shepherd is a picture of God that we can be proud of. If you're going to boast, says the scriptures, boast in the Lord. Well, I can boast about a God who's like this shepherd. 
I can boast about a God who takes the initiative, who puts in the energy, who, who carries the weight of the lost and the lonely. I can be proud of that God. I can boast about that God. And we can share a picture of that God. And we can sometimes confess that perhaps at times we have portrayed him incorrectly because he is a God of grace. He is a God of love. He is the one who makes the gracious initiative and carries us in his arms of love back to his people who know him as friend and father. So here in this passage, I'd invite you this week in your huddles and house churches to think through where are your motivations being challenged and where are your motivations being, as it were, affirmed? What in your current experience is giving you access to an understanding of what it means to feel lost? And in all of that, as you recognize that perhaps this is one of the good things that God is doing from this terrible thing that we're all experiencing, ask God to give you a new desire, a fresh plan a new commitment to take on his priorities and to celebrate as he celebrates. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you that everything about you speaks to us of your loving initiative, of your gracious generosity, and of your commitment to finding, to carrying us, and to bringing us home. Lord, we pray for those who have become estranged from the community of faith. Particularly this week, Lord, there are many that we need to pray for. We know those that have never been connected, of course. But Lord, this week we pray for those who have become disconnected. And we ask you, Lord, that you would give us your heart to seek and find them, to lift and carry them, and to bring them home to the family of faith. We pray it, Jesus, in your name and for your glory. Amen. Well, I do hope you have a very rich and interesting conversation this week with your family and your friends and your house churches and huddles. Bless you. And we'll look forward to seeing you daily for the daily devotion in the mornings for the various other resources that we're getting into shape now as a sustainable resource into the future. And hopefully in the not too distant future, we'll be able to see each of us face to face. God bless.
dilemma coming after me There's no wall you won't kick down Lie you won't tear down Coming after me There's no shadow you won't light up Mountain you won't climb up Coming after me There's no wall you won't kick down Lie you won't tear down Coming after me There's no shadow 